Welcome to A Voice from the Hills. I'm James Warner, co-founder of Silicon Hills Wealth Management here in Austin, Texas. And our guest on today's podcast is Stephanie Bogan. Stephanie left home at age 17 with limited resources and limited options, only to rise above that and found her own successful consulting firm just a few short years later. She sold that firm to a Fortune 200 company and transitioned to a critical role on the executive team. It's hard not to see that as success, but Stephanie wanted more. She left the limited success of the corporate world behind and began to explore a more limitless version of success, a combination in her words of high performance and happiness. Stephanie honed that version of success into one of the most engaging and impactful coaching and improvement programs available on the market. Are you ready to go from limited to limitless? Let's find out with our special guest, Stephanie Bogan. James Warner is the founding partner of Silicon Hills Wealth Management and the host of A Voice from the Hills podcast. All opinions expressed by James, his co-host, and his guest are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Silicon Hills Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Silicon Hills Wealth Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Hi, Stephanie, and thank you so much for joining us. Hey, James, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's start with your first exit. So you've just sold your consulting firm that you founded uh, to a Fortune 200 firm, and they're obviously happy to have you come over, and they want you to be uh, in the executive suite of a larger firm. What's your mindset at the time, and what are your expectations for the future? Holy shit. I think that like the clear winners at that point, <laughs> just being straightforward. Literally, I moved, you know, my, my backstory, my origin story, if you will, was my mother was diagnosed with a mental illness when I was nine. My father was in the military, had PTSD. So really from, from nine, you know, the next nine years were really just a very hostile environment of psychiatric hospitals, panic attacks, prescription bottles, right? not awesome stuff. I'll just right truncate that to not awesome stuff. So I moved out at 17. I had to support myself. Long story short, with, you know, decades of rich experience, I started my first firm at 24. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, everyone does that, right? Like most people go out and get experience and then they consult. I was like, why not do this consulting thing? Um, but I had just, I thought I'd wanted to be a lawyer, work in this large international firm, realized I didn't. Uh, they make great money, but they have no lives. Um, and it's really interesting when I think about like my backstory, I had all these careers. I was like, Oh, I want to be a party planner. I want to be a chef. I want to be a lawyer. And every time I was like, they don't have a life or I don't want to. So even at like this young age, I didn't, it's funny to look back because now I'm all, you know, I'm all about the lifestyle now. Um, so you're already kind of on the limitless journey. I even was already on the, started, I just, it's right? funny because I didn't know it at the time, but I literally was like, Oh, I'd love to be a chef. And I was like, well, they work evenings and weekends. I don't want to do that with kids. Who thinks that at 19, right? I don't know why I thought it. I just did. So anyway, I landed in an estate planning firm that worked in the wealth management space with high net worth and in particular, ultra high net worth individuals. So that was really my foray into wealth management. And it was a great foray because I got to do really deep, complicated, right? Planning, estate tax, insurance, financial, right? Investments. Like we worked with that whole team of people. I mean, I've literally funded private jets and airplanes. It's a very interesting process, by the way. Um, Right. So that was really how I started in this particular space. 
And I was uh, had gone from a large firm and I became the director of marketing and operations for a small firm at the ripe old age of 24 was really how it started. So fast forward 12 years later, I'm now 36. I have uh, just had my first son. I'm up at the Genworth uh, office. I, you know, he was 10 weeks premature, so I'm doing no traveling, none, not a zero. And now I'm in the middle of this acquisition and they're like, we need you to come up and meet with the entire executive team to seal the deal. And I'm like, okay, Southern California, Northern California, one day I can take the right, the, the, the milk pump bag with me. I can make this work. <laughs> literally it's worth millions of dollars, right? Like I'm going to do it. So no joke. I literally like it's, this. It's is the way deal. every new mom closes a million right, dollar every deal. Right? Multi million dollar deals. I literally had my briefcase had this not very glamorous, right? But my, my little pump kit in it. And I fly up to Northern California. I'm in the bathroom of Genworth, right? I do my mom pump business. We'll just right, leave it at that for you guys. Put my milk in the bag, carry my briefcase into a conference table that's got to be 20 feet long. James, I grew up in a trailer park, right? I started my firm with, a, I call it the paper mache desk. I went down to Office Depot. I bought like a $399 desk if you leave the water glass on it too long, right? It, it bubbles up. Like that, that was me starting my business. So fast forward 12 years later, I've built a great firm. We've got a great brand, right? We've done great work, but I'm literally like coming out of the bathroom, breast milk bag in hand. I walk into a conference room with 20, 19 guys and one woman. They're all in suits. I was wondering if you were going to be the only woman at the table. (laughs) There is one woman. She's great, by the way, Carrie. Um, She's a powerhouse. Carrie Hansen, love her. Um, and that was really, and it was so intimidating. I was just like, holy shit. Like, that was it. I was like, holy shit, what am I doing here? Um, and I also knew that I had a great business and that it had real value. And so, but it was just an interesting way to enter that. So, you know, at the time I wasn't like clear. I wasn't confident. I mean, I had a great firm, but I was also in this really interesting time personally and was making this transition. And so I was going from, right, a trailer park and junior college and supporting myself and building this firm by the bootstraps to a Fortune 200 company executive team, right? It was a massive up-leveling in my experience. It was a phenomenal experience. I learned a ton. I say that I learned a lot, almost none of which I expected, and much of which I needed to learn about how to work with and through other people as opposed to just, right, driving success on my own. And so it was an uncomfortable at times, but really incredible experience. And the fun part for me was I got to really be in the sandbox of doing what I love to do at scale, right? So taking our practice management offering, scaling it across thousands of advisors, 20 years later, it's literally still there being used and relied upon, right? So the actual, it works when I went to United, same thing, right? Building at scale. Um, So that was really, it was a very intimidating experience at first, well, that's really cool, though, to see your your idea and your concept. It was awesome, actually, actually moving at scale, right? I mean, because you never really know when you're when you're putting it together well, and bootstrapping it and whatever. You never really know is this gonna is this going to really work in prime time, right? Well, and that's why my answer was as honest as it was because I had been really good at what I did. We had a brand for results, right? Every you know that was kind of our thing. But now someone had just bought me for millions of dollars and given me millions of dollars to invest in building a platform at scale. It had to work, James. So yeah, yeah. doing it over here for a hundred people is one thing. Doing it. So it was a holy <laughs> shit moment where I was like, I know I can do this, 
but I haven't done it before. And it's going to really like, I knew it was going to grow me. I just didn't know it was going to grow me in the ways that it did. Now you did a great job of, of talking about your childhood a little bit. It obviously wasn't the idyllic, you know, setup. You leave at 17. Uh, what aspects of your upbringing though, ended up being invaluable to you and what aspects and skills did you find that you were missing that you had to focus and, and put your attention on? That's a, no one's ever asked me that. And people ask me about that story all the time. It's a really insightful question. One, um, I do believe that our biggest blessings come wrapped in sandpaper. At the time, the, they all felt like sandpaper. Like this, you know, like there are people who've had far worse situations, but mine wasn't awesome. Um, and everything I hated about that experience, everything I hated about it, is part of what makes me and and who I am today. I am tenacious. I am driven. I am independent. I am create, you know, I'm a good communicator. Like all of, you know, if you have to learn how to talk to crazy, and I say that in a funny way because it's my coping strategy, but if you have to learn how to talk to crazy to get anything you want, you get really good at people and behavior. Like I didn't realize, like, why do I have this gun? I was like, oh, <laughs> I know why I have this skill set. Like I had to master the nuance of human behavior, communication, like reason, rational. And I'm not even saying I'm awesome at it, but that was the environment I grew up. And I used to ask my mom to leave the house and she would look me in the eyeballs and say, no, I don't want to be alone. Wow. Okay. You know, it's one thing starting your behavioral training at, you know, the age of 26 at the university of Chicago, No. but starting at the age of nine at the kitchen table, that's a different it's entirely, That's a different element altogether, right? Yeah. And I think to your point, like what didn't I get? I got, I didn't get all the stuff that you really need to be happy and wholehearted. I didn't get love, acceptance and belonging in the way that children need them to feel safe and secure. It's not my parents' fault. I've made peace with it. They had their own burdens, but my mother was literally mentally ill. She would wake me up at two o'clock in the morning, find a piece of lint on the carpet and then have me clean the whole house. Those were the good days. I'm not saying there weren't some normal-ish day. Obviously, not every day was tragic, but lots of them were, right? I moved. My dad was in the military until I was nine, so I think I moved, you know, like nine times up to that point. And then from the time that she got sick to when I graduated, I'd moved like another nine times. Like I don't know. It was like 14 times or something. That's not stability. You don't get that sense of stability in a hostile environment that's always changing where people aren't or being the opposite of loving, accepting, and belonging. And so I think to your point, what I didn't get was that emotional skill set of how to manage my feelings, how to even be aware that they were running the show, right? What were those reactions? What I mean, if you looked, if I look back at myself at who I was at 20 and how I showed up and how I responded compared to who I am and how I show up today, they're wildly, wildly different people, like wildly. And, wow. and that was the work that I ultimately started on is, hey, you know, that was a crazy environment. I don't really, I read the self-help books, did all that. But when I retired, it was because not that I didn't love the work that I was doing at United. It was probably the funnest project, right, of my career in terms of building out the advice and the client experience. I think about like Money Minds, Honest Conversations, the guidebook, all of that that got sold off to Goldman Sachs and is now resident there. Our team really was a key driver in building that. And I think it's the best CX platform out there. Like I loved that work. And then I summarily retired because we, I had two young children at this point. We had just gotten 40 million in funding and I had to sign off on every single deal that we did. 
So that lifestyle suddenly became, oh, I've got to grind again. Well, I'd already grind to sold a company. I didn't have to work and I was not happy. I was breaking, I was having migraines. I was stressed out. Not that I didn't love the work that I was doing. But my relationship with the work had just compounded to a point that no matter how successful I became, no matter what magazine cover I was on, no matter what, how many people were at the keen, it didn't matter because my success simply wasn't satisfying. And for me, I am a high performance coach. Like that's my business, right? Is performance and go and grow. And then I just kept asking myself, where's the happy in all of this? Like, okay, when I get to this level, I'll be happy. And it was the same thing with my clients. And I realized there is no corner to turn. It is a stop and learning how to sit with yourself. Am I clear? Am I conscious? Am I committed to a vision of who I want to be, what I want to have, what I want to achieve, and what do I want to experience for myself, for the people that I love and for the good work that I want to do on the planet. When you get that level of clarity, it doesn't mean life is easy or perfect, by the way. It means that you've got guardrails to really make sure that your time, your energy, your capital are applied in ways that really create the outcome and the experience that you want for yourself, for the people you love and for the work that you do. And you start undervaluing yourself on the other side of that success, right? I mean, that that success train starts moving. And well, the problem it will yeah. go in that one direction, but you really can't alter it. You could just make more, 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 you know, more better. And yeah. And so you in 2014, you're successful by pretty much any outside definition, I'm sure. Well, certainly by the trailer and, park definition. I I really killed it. <laughs> yeah, you, you crushed it. Yeah. And so so you 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 retire, but it's more it's not so much retirement, it's more search for what's next as opposed to an end. And I think you refer to it as the where the real learning began. Yeah, I think uh, is what you refer to it as. Talk us through, you know, kind of that decision. Well, you kind of already did that, but the search and then what you learned during that process. When did you have that aha moment? Ah, uh, aha moment. I was running. Uh, our house was on the top of a hill on a beautiful hill over a valley, and I was running across it. And you know, your mind is spinning, right? Spinning, spinning, spinning. And I realized that I'd been running for like 20 minutes and I had no idea where I was. It's kind of like, you know, being on the freeway and pulling into the driveway. And I was like, wow, this is, this is not like how I want to be. And I went home that day and I was sitting in a room with my daughter and I don't know, she was, she was quite young at the time and she's a toddler. She may be 18 months or two years old. Uh, I know she might be at two and a half because I retired when she just, as she turned three and I sat down with her. I was there with her, right? Like I'm here with you. And the spin kept going. And at one point, my daughter was in my lap. And I couldn't remember, like I could not remember the time that had passed from her being on the other side of the room to her being in my lap. Because my head was spinning. I call this being on autopilot, which is where most of us live Mm -hmm. most of the time if we're not really careful. And in that moment, I was so impacted by the fact that family was the most important thing to me. Hence, I mean, go visit up origin story upbringing, right? Like happy, healthy, wholehearted home, my number one goal in life. And all I could do is sit there in my absolute accountability for not living it. I was like, wow, family first, huh? Like you just didn't even see your daughter cross the room because you were having a conversation in your head about work. What the hell? You don't even have to do this anymore. Why are you doing this? 
And that was when I got really clear that I didn't know why I was doing it anymore. It was just what you did. I call it the compulsive drive. You just more and more and the next corner and the next this and the next that. And there is no corner that you turn. It is a space. It's like the success commute. We just, we just do it every day because we always have. We we are living on, we're living in Groundhog Day. And I didn't know it at the time, but when I retired, I really started, right. I learned the power of mindset and the neuroscience behind why I was living the way that I was living. But that was, that was for me the moment where I just thought like, you know, I'm always thinking about it. I had been sitting on the playground. I had broken out in a full body rash. Who does that? And I'm Googling, what do you do? Right. I Googled, right. <laughs> Sudden full body rash, no other symptoms. And I kid you not, James, it's like lymphoma. <laughs> I'm sitting on the playground. So it's these series of events, right? I'm on the Hill. I'm sitting with my daughter. Then I'm on the playground with my son in the span of like a week. And I'm in a full body rash. No one under the doctor has no idea why I'm getting migraines, why I'm like, I was just stressed out, obviously, right? Internalize, internalize, stuff, stuff, stuff. Everything's going to be okay. Work over, work over, work over. And there's a cost to that. And so I'm sitting there and I thought, I could literally, I could be dying. Odds are against it, I know. But in that moment, I was like, what if I was? What I feel good about how I use the time. And I was like, I don't even have to be working my, again. Why am I doing this? And so most people sell their company, right? Get their earn out and leave. I stayed for four years because in my world, the story was, right? You have to work hard to survive. That's just what you do. You don't relax. You don't kick back. You don't know how to sit still. Your thoughts go crazy. I know many of you can relate to that, right? The kind of the the driven mountain climber types really often struggle with that. And so for me, it was, can I do great things and still feel good? Oh, and then the guilt comes in because I'm not really sure that's something we're supposed to be able to do, right? Well, but we I mean, are. My, my own upbringing, I was, you know, I was certainly not in anywhere near your situation, uh, you know, but we, and we never really wanted for anything, but we never really had anything extra either. So, but what I found within my entire family is that we always celebrated the quantity of work and not the quality. How hard you worked or how long you worked was the thing that was celebrated, not really how successful you were. And and it took a long time to kind of break through that, you know, for me at least. And I'm sure a lot of people that have that similar upbringing have that problem, right? Well, and that is, that is really, when you think about, you know, in terms for me, the shift, that was the shift is what I didn't realize at the time is that I was subject to my own conditioned thinking. And here's the thing. We're all subject to what I'm about to share with you, with one exception. You won't like it, but your brain is going to want to argue. Here's what the science said. So I retire, right? Love y'all. It's been great. I'm out. It's the worst thing you could ever do. Don't care. Got to find my life, right? Move on, right? Midlife (laughs) moment, right? I just, right, have my little breakdown, midlife moment. Don't, you know, don't don't want to die with a bunch of regret. Like I had this moment, James, where I just thought I've had so much shit happen in my life that isn't good. I think I would just like the next 50 years to be filled with stuff that's a whole lot better. I think I deserve that. Like in that moment, I was like, I think I actually deserve to not just be successful, but can I, can I do great work and can I feel good while doing it? And I can't, so I need to check out for a little bit and figure this out. I am a problem solver above all else, right? I am tenacious and I'm a problem solver. So I hit the beach in Costa Rica where I just wanted to be a nobody for a while. I didn't want anyone to have, I wanted no obligations, no expectations. I literally woke up every day, let the sun hit my face, spent, you know, my, put my feet in the sand, 
So one day I'm re- I'm sitting on the beach. I do what everybody does when they retire and don't need to work anymore, James. I Googled, no joke, how to be successful and happy. Google does have the answer to everything. Yeah. So that led to, no joke, that's how you know it's desperate when you know everything you know and you're still Googling how to be happy on Google. <laughs> I read an article that led to an article, I love research, right? I'm a closet geek, to an article, to a white paper, to a research paper, to... A study by Carnegie Institute. This is the game-changing moment. I will never forget it. I'm sitting on the beach in my little chair in front of the house. I've got this study from Carnegie Institute called Education and Engineering. It was published in 1906, and it's really 06, about yes. in education, like how do we how do we create learning and change and growth, right? Like that's what we're all doing all day, every day, learning and growing. So they did this study, and they found that there were three contributing factors to success. One environment, right? New York is different than California is different than Dubai. BD is different than an RAA. Kansas is a little bit different than New York City. Environment, skills, we have them or we can acquire them pretty straightforward. Mindset or psychology. Okay, right. I've read all the books. Check that box. Fine. So we've Next. got this pie chart. We've got we've got environment, <laughs> we've got skills, and we've got mindset. We got mindset. And of course, most people are going to, they're going to pair that pie chart into thirds. Yep. But that's and not really how that pie chart works, is it? No, no. In fact, I read the next line in this was literally the moment that changed my life. It's why I'm here. It's why I've done every single thing since. No joke. The next line is, of those three contributing factors, your success, your ability to improve your situation, change and grow is determined 80, 80% by your mindset. What? What is this mindset thing? I kind you know, like... I don't understand it. And it's 80%. I need to find out about this. Like I was just like, what is this? And so they really go on to talk about mindset, next research, next study, next study. There's lots of studies behind the study. But you know, when you grow up with your background, there's really never a time to sit back and think about mindset, right? I mean, that, that is not like a luxury that's given. James, some people grow up in really happy, healthy, wholehearted families where people are conscious and inquisitive and curious. It's just those yeah, people. We, we might even them. term those mindset families, right? But yeah, it, no, you didn't like, have no, that, right? So this was a breakthrough thing for you, right? <laughs> we joke, nobody in this car. That is not, the even to your point, you can grow up in a happy, healthy, loving home. You don't have to be from a broken home. I have. I cannot count the number of clients that I have that are successful and hit a plateau. And then somewhere behind that plateau, James, is a story about a dad who was in the Boy Scouts. And when the other dads weren't at the Boy Scout meetings would say, yo, those other dads are too busy working. They don't care about their families, right? They're just focused on the money. Oh, look at all those cars those people are driving. They're just spending all their time and money on the cars they're not spending with their family. Like what's the story that your brain, right? Your brain's basically, so this is how the neuroscience works. Our brains have on average of 60,000 thoughts a day, okay? 80% of those thoughts, according to the latest neuroscience research, are negative. Negative thoughts. You can't, you shouldn't, you don't know how. You can't charge that. If you say no to the prospect, you'll never get another referral. You get eaten by a tiger, lose all your clients, go bankrupt. (laughs) Right? That's totally what goes through our head, right? Here's a great example. James, your largest client has just called, left a message, didn't say why. It's the first thing that runs through your head. Well, there's 48,000 reasons that, you know, make me think they're going to fire me. Exactly. Uh, None of them are good, right? Your brain doesn't go, ooh, Bob calls. He loves you so much. He's got a question. But why wouldn't we? Someone sat across from you, gave you their million dollars that they'd worked hard for and said, I trust you. 
Because you said across from them, James, and said, when you need me, I'll be here. So instead of immediately going to, holy cow, I'm about to get fired. What happened? I got to figure out how to prepare for the onslaught. Is that what you told a client you were going to do when they called? No, you should absolutely reframe from a coach, reframe the mindset. Are you the trusted advisor? Are they supposed to call you when they have questions? Is that your opportunity to demonstrate your value? Hell yes, it is. Absolutely want to be in an empowered state. This is, of course, he's calling me. I'm his advisor. He's supposed to call me. Let's do this. Nine times out of 10, it's just going to be a question where you, James, get to show up and be awesome and add value. And don't you want to show up clear and confident and conscious instead of being like, oh my God, I hope I didn't. You're not in best service of the client from that space. I'm sorry. I'm not saying you can't get over it, but we're not in our best service. That's entirely different than showing up and saying, hey, Bob, I'm so glad that you called. It's kind of... Unusual for you to call out of the blue that tells me this is important. What's up? Nine times out of 10, it's just a support question. One times out of 10, James, it might be that he's pissed off at you about something. Don't you want to know that? Hey, Bob, I can really appreciate. I hear that you're upset, right? Listen to the converse. I hear that you're upset. I really appreciate your sharing with me. Our relationship's based on trust. Let's have, like, I don't know what the conversation is. Let's have the conversation. You're going to have clients that disagree with you and challenge you. And if you can't confidently sit in that seat, then you're not doing the job that you promised them. And that's the real work. I call it the work behind the work is, yes, we need to have a great sales process. We've got a great sales process at Limitless. We've baked all the behavior into every step in the process. How do you show up? How do you get curious? How do you tell your story? How do you define and demonstrate your actual value as an advisor now and an ongoing in that process. And it's not showing up and asking how much they have in their 401k and what, you know, what their target date for retirement is. Yes, you have no, to. No, that's just, that's just data collection. It's data collection. And I was just listening to a sales process for a huge firm and their advisors in the sales, in that learn more call, we're doing data collection. People were telling them like, oh, we want to do this and we want to do that. And they're like, great. How much is in your 401k? And I'm like, oh my God, stop. Stop right now. It's like a very potent conversation to be had with the client when they share something like that. And then, of course, you go back to and, right, the 401k assets are going to help fund it. So we want to make sure that we've got the right portfolio. We've got withdrawal sequencing, like the stuff. So long story short. that's That's not just a financial advisory thing. I mean, that's any professional service, right? I mean, there, there are always data points you can collect and, Sometimes we bend over to collect those data points and yeah. don't listen to the really important stuff that's happening right in front of us. It's- and that's where, and that's where we don't realize it to your point, but that's where mindset kicks in. If you go into that phone call thinking you're in trouble, right? There's a story behind that because events have the biggest discovery in behavioral science in a hundred years, literally is that events have no meaning, not a zero zip. They only have the meaning we get them. Client called is just client called. You understand now your brain inserted a story that client called is probably bad. Why? Why? There's no business case for it. None. No substantiating evidence because our brains are hardwired to focus on the negative. We live in our limbic system. 70% of the day we're in stress mode, right? We have two brains and one mind. We have a conscious mind, our prefrontal cortex, our conscious thinking, logical, forward focused brain. And we have our caveman brain, the limbic system. Its job is to... Don't die. Fight or flight. (laughs) That's that's it. The job of this part of your brain, the oldest, most powerful part of your brain says, don't die. Here's the problem. This is what I had to figure out. For me, succeeding was not dying. 
But not dying is not the same as truly living. Not the same thing. Our brains are hardwired survival machines. Their job is to keep us alive. And when we start from that place, we're going to make compromised decisions. When the prospect says, hey, I think this is cool, but can we pay this instead of this? What happens instantly? One fifth of a second, your brain intakes that information and says, we don't like this. Yes is the only right answer. Panic, fight or flight. I can't fight. Hitting prospects is poor form. I can't run away. Also poor form. My only easy fast out here is say yes. Seven minutes later, after they leave, you're going to be kicking yourself or two months later, right? When they're not the right client, like we've told the story a thousand times, we all know how it goes. Why do we do that? Why do we worry about the client? Because the story inserted itself in a fifth of a second, because those stories are formed throughout our experiences. You have to work hard to get ahead. Oh my God, Steph, how do you help people build a million dollar, hundred day off practice? <gasps> You're taking advantage of the clients. It's not possible. No, I'm stripping all the inefficiency out of a practice. I'm delivering five X the value to clients. I'm just doing it in half the time because I know how to leverage people, process, and platform really well. I'm not checking email 17 times a day. I'm not working with 59 clients that don't fit. I'm not like those things that really compromise our success. When our mindset is straight, we make different decisions. Perfect example. James, if a prospect visited your website, was referred by a friend, had a learn more call with you, writes 15, 20 minutes, learning about them, what's important to them, done their homework, sat down with you for now an hour or an hour and a half and listened to your write, your pitch, whatever it is. And at the end of that, they've said, yeah, James, this seems great. We really like all that value. Hmm. Except we actually, we love all that value. We just think it's worth a little bit more than you do. What do you say you give us all that awesome sauce? You are just as excited to call us as every other full-paying client, not our fault they weren't smart enough to ask, and you're going to deliver all that love, experience, and attention. You're just going to do it for 75% less and feel just as good about serving me. What do you say, James? Uh, well, I mean, what I would say is, you know, no. you know I'd really love to do that, <laughs> but that wouldn't be fair to my existing clients who are paying 100% of the awesome sauce. And if you could find what I do and how I do it for 75% less somewhere else, then good luck. I mean, I, you know, that that's right. a great, that's a great win for you. I don't, you know, yes, I don't think you can do that. In your career and for people that are, how often do we say yes? And right, you, you understand this and you're applying that. 90% of people say, no, no, I would never take that client. At 75, like in the, if they framed it that way, right? If someone yeah. said, hey, I want all the awesome for 75% less, you would come up with a better answer. You would say no, or you would say something like, hey, that doesn't work for me. The problem is, is that way too much of the time, that's not what happens. We say yes, because our mindset in that moment is yes is the only right answer. All revenue is good revenue. All clients are good clients. If I say no, bad things will happen. I'll get eaten by a tiger. All my clients will leave. I will file bankruptcy and I will die, right? That's literally passing through our brain in seconds. If you can reposition that mindset too, I work with just right clients, people that fit my target client profile, but behaviorally have three key characteristics. They are motivated. They are able to see value and they are happy to pay my fees. Would it be hard to say no to that client? No, it would be, Bob, Jane, I really appreciate that you see value in the work that we do. We and our clients see value in it too. 
Our fees aren't the least expensive. They're also not the most expensive, but we and our clients feel like they're fair for the value that we provide. If different people have different budgets and if your budget really warrants a different level of service, we completely appreciate that. But at this firm, we believe in and we provide and our fees to deliver that level of value to help you insert brand promise here, right? Retire ready, whatever it is, is X, Y, or Z. Happy to make some referrals if you're looking for an option that really comes at a lower cost. Okay, great. Because now what you know is no isn't about you. It's not rejection. It's not bad. It's not awful. It's just that they're not a fit for your ideal practice, the one that lets you elevate your work, elevate your wealth, and elevate your well-being, right? So we've got to have right clients who pay the right fees. That's our job to decide. It could be smaller clients in a community. It could be super high net worth clients. It could be something in between. But it's about building a practice around the type of client so that you can deliver deep value to that client, which is rule one at Limitless. Two, run a hyper-efficient practice. No distractions, right? Like we are going to just boil it down so that you as the advisor are doing energy creating, revenue producing work that you love. Great way to create more time and income for yourself, by the way, is stop doing the things that you don't. And that's where mindset kicks in over and over. I was just on a webinar this morning. I can't take 100 days off. I can't delegate to my team. I can't trust them. I can't manage. Like All of those are just stories that we serve up because our brain is hardwired. That limbic system caveman brain is hardwired to immediately focus on the problem, not the possibility. To focus on the obstacle, not the opportunity. To tell you why you can't, you shouldn't, or you don't know how. Your brain does not come in and go, James, that prospect that prospect just doesn't get you. You're awesome, man. Don't you worry about them. Hey, that client's calling because he loves you and you're going to add a lot of value. Hey, we can 3x this practice in half the time. Hey, man, what's it going to take? When we shift our mindset, Michael Kitsis is one of my clients and we did a webinar and we talked about this. He's grown 10, he, it's, it's more now, but he grew like 10x in three years. Not because I'm the world's greatest coach, by the way, but because when you learn to ask better questions, you get better answers. So he talked about how one of those shifts was instead of being like, how am I going to? It's what will it take to? What would it take to work with 100 ideal clients that really built an ideal practice that let me have Fridays off, eight weeks of vacation and four or $500,000 a year in income? Like, what would that take? I can tell you it takes about 21 things because I've mapped them out, built a coaching program around it. <laughs> you as an advisor, my point is the answer to all that's on Google, James. You guys don't need me. Except that we're not using the information that we have available to us because our mindset and our story sits squarely between us and what's next for us. It's the invisible resistance. And so we can talk about strategy and operations and staffing and gosh, I love talking about a client experience and where it's going digitally and the shift in, you know, how the face of planning is changing and consumer preferences like financial planning is fundamentally changing and evolving. When we think about advice, client experience and the digital experience. But if we can't master our mindset as firms, we're going to feel the squeeze of those trends. We call it service inflation more than fee compression, but there are so many things happening in the space and if we don't really get clear about what kind of firm we want to build and how we want to succeed in that space, you're going to find that it's going to get like, uh, remember Star Wars where the trash compactor was like squeezing, right? Small firms aren't going to like disappear overnight. They're always going to be there like financial services and lawyers and architects. The difference is how hard it is. Now the hamster wheel is just going to move faster and faster. Well, everything is just like the cool, like the stuff that we're doing with firms is just really literally positioning them up here to add 5x the value in a fraction of the time. How's the average advisor going to keep up with that? 
And I think for some people who may be not familiar with your work, uh, a lot of that stuff is in that uh, five-step no-stress process that you did with Michael. Yeah, if you, uh, if anyone listening, part of it that I really love, and I, I love this part of it so much, it's the idea that a no from a client isn't necessarily about what went wrong, but actually about what went right. Right, exactly. I love that. That is such a hard concept to internalize. Why is that? It is because our mindset, the stories in our brain. What what are we as a as a profession conditioned to believe? Think about the the, the origin of the profession. It was all sales. It was all product, right? Call seven times, get the yes, right? The wirehouses originally like created all of the training for this profession. And those of you who were like, hey, I think we can do better, left. And found better ways, but that inherent conditioning of your job is to sell, persuade, cajole to get the yes is fundamentally different than what we teach at Limitless. What we teach at Limitless is you have one job as an advisor with prospects, just one. It's really easy. Your job is to give people the information they need to make informed and educated choices about their financial life and the opportunity to decide if you're the right advisor to help them do that. That's it. Now, if you can sit in an integrity-based sales process where you're doing the things that we're talking about, creating curiosity, creating space for the client to share what's really important for them, surfacing the technical needs and the personal needs, helping them craft a personal plan. In the, we use the one-page plan a lot from Carl Richards. We love it. A, we've used it with $80 million clients, literally, and right, $80,000 clients, but it's a simple dashboard that says no matter what kind of paper and plans we have behind all this, which you don't actually need, by the way, to do the planning, obviously, not to get the client, is we want to know what's important to you. We want you to know what's important to you. So in your prospect process, you always behaviorally want to communicate three things. I see you, I hear you, and I understand you. If you can do that in a way that resonates with the prospect, their brain will automatically click in with... And he or she is very probably going to be able to help you. So we start marketing way back in right the top of the funnel, right? Lead gen. Where are you embedding that story? Hey, we work with optometrists or with, right? Like where is that really clear? Then when they get to the middle of the funnel and they get to your website, is that baked into the website? Can they go to that website in one fifth of a second know that they are or are not a client of your firm? If it's not that clear, you can work on your website. Once they do that, can they say, hey, I'm curious. I would like to know more. I'm going to hit this call to action. Is it a download to get my email? Is it a phone call to get more information? Like, can you tell that story in such a clear, size and compelling way in the seven seconds that you get on a homepage that someone is compelled to either give you their email or pick up the phone and call you? And there's a lot of levers that you can turn. There are five best practices we use, right? Every homepage should have these, like we model everything, right? At Limitless, I have this theory. This is what I learned in all this neuroscience research. Success leaves clues. I've worked with some of the biggest, best, most brightest firm, like amazing people in this space, been blessed to do some great things. You know what? The principles of success apply, whether you are a small advisor, a mid-sized advisor, or a large advisor. It's how you apply them. And that's the mindset piece. When you get clear on the practice you want to build, the clients you want to work with, and the life you want to create without compromise, you have everything you need on the back of a cocktail napkin to design your ideal practice. So we ask four questions. How big do you want your practice to be? Do you want a $300,000 practice with 50 clients and half your time off to hang out with your kids? Love it. Let's do it. Do you like some of our leaders want to build a five or a $10 million firm, right? That is works and has growth independent of you, but you can still make work optional and 
work for three or five or 10 years, transition in the next gen. Okay, let's do that too. But if you can't sit in that space of being clear and conscious about what you want to create, you're going to do a lot of wasted stuff. So if I were to draw you a picture, James, Carl's really great at this. He's, he signs his because they're really neat. I don't sign mine because they're not. <laughs> it's the standard well, he, he, he enforces the trademark. Yeah. That's why he signs them. Exactly. So let's say this is you all here now. You can't see me, but if, if you're listening, I'm drawing a dot on the page. James, if we went back five or ten years... If you've been doing this for a year, if you just went back one year and I said to you, could you, if you knew then what you knew now, could you get where you are better, faster, and more enjoyably? Sure. Of course you could because you can't see me, but right now I'm drawing little lines between the dots. What happens is there are fundamental things success leaves clues. If you pick a client model, build a service model, have a great sales process, have a good onboarding process, have good workflows, like there's all this very functional stuff we do on the business side. But what happens is we get here and we go, oh, that prospect isn't a fit, but I'll take them. And I'll work with five of them. And I've got one that's doing retirement, one that's doing M&A, and one that's got some new kids. And I got to do over here. And right, we have all this energy that we spend building our practice. And we do eventually get to here wherever here is for you right now. That energy is the experience that you have not enjoyed. It's the stress, the overwhelm, the fear, the uncertainty, and the doubt. This is 90% your mindset because we're 95% conditioned creatures, hardwired habit patterns, according to the research by the age of 35. You think what you think because it's what you've always thunk. Einstein said that no problem can be solved with the same consciousness that created it. So what we want to do in coaching, whether it's with Limitless or anyone else, and you can do it on your own, so we want to fast forward 10 years. At Limitless, we always talk about three-year runways for the vision, except now we know what these 21, we call them trailhead lessons are. We know what the formula to success is. We've done it Every year for the last four years, right? Watch the videos like story after story because I just followed this formula. Now, with your mindset and your clarity and the things that we teach in coaching, now you have guardrails. So we're not going to work with every single client because we know that no isn't something went wrong. No, because we've done these steps. We know that no means something went right. When Adam gets a no, he's like, great, they didn't fit. We all have that, you know, second where you're like, eh, but he doesn't like... It's uh, one of our advisors was in one of our conferences and we were talking about this and she literally got it. She was like, okay, so some will, some won't. So what? So who's next? If you're not motivated, able to yeah, like, okay, I get it. And that is a massive, you know, so think about your service model. Most advisors have one or two meetings, dump all the value in that meeting and then don't see a client for six months. And then we wonder why right planning is an event and not a process. So we're radically changing the way that we deliver service. So we can do it over 12 months. We can automate a bunch of it and sit in those meetings as the trusted advisor, not fact checking their beneficiaries and their life insurance policies, right? So there's a lot of business lovers that we can pull. What I know is we won't pull them until we're clear about what we want to create. We have that vision. So what I always like to say is when the vision is clear, the decisions are easy. Now. I know what your brain is doing. Like, what does she mean? It's easy. I didn't say it was without effort or economics. No, my, my brain is thinking, how long is your waiting list? I love this <laughs> pod so much. I can't even. So when we're really clear, when I knew I had my son, he was 10 weeks premature. So I was out of my business for a month. Thank God I built it to run without me. And at that point I was like, I can't be this entrepreneur that works from six in the morning until eight at night. And you know, when you don't have kids, you come home, you have your glass of wine and dinner, you watch a movie, stay up till 12, you get up at six or seven, it's no big deal. When you have kids, radical change. 
So I was like, I have to come home at 5.30. Family is like, got to draw the line, most important. Do you know how radically you have to change if you want to run a successful business and keep growing and pull six hours out of every day? Yeah, you got to be 60% more efficient. You've got to get more efficient, right? And so for me, it was how am I going to draw a line, make that commitment? The word decision and commitment have Latin roots. Do you know what the Latin roots of those words are? To cut off. To cut off. Because a decision and a commitment really means you're cutting off any other possibility. That's what makes it a commitment or a decision. But what we really make, if we're honest, is a whole lot of wishes, a whole lot of wants, and a whole lot of like-tos. Because our why isn't bigger than our what ifs, the stories in our head. The why is Adam, one of our advisors, grew 2x in two years, 3x in three years, 4x in four years. Because he was walking down the stairs one day with his wife who hated her job. And she looked him in the, he said, he'll tell the story like, oh, I asked the question, how was your day? Knowing it was going to be awful because it was awful every day. But I was a good husband, so I had to ask. And he said, she looked me dead in the eyes. We're just walking down the stairs as any of us might. And she looked at me and she said, I hate that people that I do not like are getting the best of me. And the people that I love are getting the worst of me. And Adam will tell you that it was like, a dagger to his heart. His wife had put him through school. He was like, I'm so lame. I've made these, you know, like I can't, like I've been at 200,000 for 10 years. What the hell's wrong? Like, oh my God, I've got to get it in gear. And that was his why, because he so wanted to give her and the girls that she wanted, they wanted her to, she wanted to stay home with a different experience that he got in that moment. He cut off any other possibility, signed up for Limitless Advisors. He'd been failing himself for some time, but when it he came had, down to well, actually failing her, that was the whew, he could he could not he was like I could not take that. I just couldn't. And for me, all of my choices are governed by I can't fail my kids. I can't. I mean, I do every day. Don't get me wrong. I'm by no means a perfect parent. I grew up in a trailer park, but my number one life priority and value is to be a happy, wholehearted person, so I can have a happy, wholehearted home. Period. Everything else has to fit around that. And it doesn't mean I'm perfect at it, right? Last week I said to my team, you know, I think I'm like 12 speaking engagements. Like, I don't know how that happened. Lisa, we said yes to I got all excited. And I I think I got a pretty good idea. (laughs) I was like, wow. And I was like, I, we didn't look at the count. We have a system. We, it just got, it slipped. That's why you have systems. And I was like, I'm gone. I'm gone. I'm gone. I was like, I have to clear a couple of days. I'm I'm feeling it. Like I feel, I feel the wheel going. I feel not being as present. I feel trying to, right. Gets to, I was like, got to pause. I have to pause. I need to get really grounded in like my energy and how I'm feeling. And I need like, and I just took a couple of days of slight, you know, I was like, okay, I feel great again. And I could have done that by the way, week sooner, just ask my team (laughs) again, not perfect, (laughs) but it's an awareness, a constant awareness of two of the most. So Michael and I talk about this a lot. When you ask better questions, you will get better answers. Here are my two favorite questions. One, is it working? Is it working? My first business was working great, by the way, right? A great brand. I think a lot of people would answer yes to that question. Great, it's working. Two, power question, does it feel good? That's the problem. Ooh, that that like that's a an extreme accountability question. And for me, 
in my first career, it was working great, but it sure didn't feel good. My second career, I'm going to be honest, my business is like we're a four-year company. It's not nearly as high and tight as Quantifus was. It's on the way. I know what the, I know how to do it, but I can't kill myself and everybody else in the process, right? So it's what is that incremental progress and what can we attack each year to move the business forward in an incremental way? And we still double every couple of years. Like we have to- All right, so you nailed, you nailed the two questions, but the data suggests that many people- who could benefit from coaching, you know, don't feel like they either have the money or the time uh, to make it happen. Right. And so the way I look at it is that, that first, is it working? There's a lot of people that say yes to that. And then they'll tell you, you know what? I'm just too busy to commit to coaching. Right. I don't really have the time. And then the second one is if it's not working, you'll get the other answer you know, I, I'm really not successful at if I don't have the profits or the cash flow yeah. to justify spending the money on it. Right. You know, what do you tell those people? And if, if you could just, you know, insert yourself into their brains yeah. and make them make the right choice, what would you, uh, what motivation would you give them? Well, one, uh, one of my favorite jokes is how many coaches does it take to change a light bulb? Just one, but it just really, the one you pay. Just one, but it really has to want to change. <laughs> <laughs> really? See, it's a good joke. Um, one, there is no business case or personal case that I can make for coaching if someone isn't open or at least marginally ready. So the conversation here always starts with, "How's it working for you? Are you being, having, achieving, and experiencing?" all that you know that you can for you, the people that you love and your work on this planet. If we're all really honest, even for me, the answer is not 100% every day. So then the question is, are you willing to do something? Is it uncomfortable enough? And it's not for everyone, James, and that's okay, right? We Our job is to meet them where they are. They're getting ready to get ready. Are you uncomfortable enough to do something about it is the real question, right? So are we willing when the tongue in the mouth, our tongue in our mouth and the tongue in our shoes are not moving in the same direction. We always know it. We always know it. The, what we yeah. don't do is stop and hold ourselves accountable. So what I tell clients all the time is indication number one that you need to do some work is it just doesn't work or it doesn't feel good. That is your indication to stop. So we have these things. They're called feelings. I know for guys, right, socially, they're not always comfortable, but they're real. And they're actually the most important tool that we have in life because our feelings are actually designed to be our indicator system. Hey, James, this works and it feels good. You should keep doing it. Hey, James, this doesn't work and it doesn't feel good. You should not keep doing it. The problem is, is we stuff our feelings because we're too busy most of the time and we work over the problems. So the issue is, that's the issue, is we work over the feelings, the indicators that say, hey, the practice isn't running the way you want. You're working too long. You don't have a consistent process for your clients that you feel is reliable that will work without you. Like we all know those symptoms, if you will. So the question is, why don't we address them? One, this is not going to be comfortable for anyone, but I can say it with confidence because it was what I suffered from in my first career. Busy is an excuse. It's an avoidant strategy. If you're busy, you're feeding your story of busy is good and busy is how I survive and busy, whatever your version, that's my story, whatever your version of it is. But busy is a strategy for not stopping and changing because at any time we had, you know, COVID, one of our clients called up, she was wildly overwhelmed. She, her mom was sick. She had to go visit her for three weeks. She had come back and she was completely stressed out. Okay, let's have that conversation. 
I'm busy. I'm overwhelmed. Nope. Nope. That does not work. Why not? Because you're in control of your situation. Can we call the clients up and say, Hey, I had to go be with my mom for a few weeks. I'm back. I'm really assessing priorities. You know, we've got some things with you that are immediate. I'm going to be getting to them in the next couple of days. Next email. I was like, shoot a quick video. Hey, I just came back. Here's where we're at. I'm really assessing priorities. I want to let you know that we've got this noted. It has our attention. We're going to be dealing with it the next couple of weeks and we'll be reaching out to you, right? You're just resetting the expectation with the client. So she recorded two videos, sent out an email and guess what happened, James? What? Nothing. Clients all said, great. So she went from stressed, overwhelmed, panic. I can't do this. I'm going to have to work. She literally was like, I said, what do you want more than anything? And she said, I want to be able to spend the weekend with my kids and not feel overwhelmed and guilty. And I said, okay, what will it take to do that? And she said, well, all my clients would need to feel good about the fact that I'm paying attention to them. And I said, okay, what will it take to help them feel that way? Like we should communicate with them, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, what will it take? It's Friday morning. We cannot communicate with 170 people between now and the afternoon personally. What will it take? What about an email and a video? Could we shoot an email that says, hey, I'm just back. I want you to know I'm taking the weekend and next week, right? You're at the top of my list or, hey, I'm just back. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be giving this attention. Sent the emails and videos out. Guess what happened? Nothing. Adam, right? In COVID, sent a video to all of his, right? Just sent a series of videos on an ongoing basis to all of his clients. No freak outs. I mean, a couple calls here and there. Outside of that, he told the story in the beginning. He reinforced it with his service model. And he was, he had the time and presence and tech in place, people, process, and platform mindset to be able to almost instantly get clear on what he wanted to say, what he needed to say it to, what batches, right? Business owners are in a different situation. Cash flow is huge in the middle of COVID. Retirees, different situation, different communication. Hey, right? Business owner, email, video. Here's where we're at. We're looking at PP. Like, hey, we're going to be pulling your P&Ls over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be scheduling calls. Retirees, different video, different conversation. Hey, we we built this into the plan. We didn't know when it was going to happen, but we built this into the plan. We've got our guardrails in place, right? We've got our, like, whatever that message is. He was able to get so clear and conscious about what his course of action needed to be to genuinely serve his clients because he wasn't in the mindset of panic, fear, overwhelm. Oh my God, my clients are going to leave me. I'm going to go bankrupt, get eaten by a tiger and die. It can be little things like the woman, right, the female advisor who had just come back from her mom. It could be something huge like COVID. There is always an answer on the other side of our fear, uncertainty, doubt, anxiety, and stress. Our job is to be clear on that, be able to sit with those feelings and those stories, work through them. You can do that pretty rapidly if you get right, if you understand, and then sit on the other side of that a minute or two and say, actually, I'm really excited about picking up the phone and calling that client back. Hey, I'm going to draft a script to work and I'm going to say it 30 times out loud because my brain lays neural pathways. So instead of sitting there and panicking when I get that challenge, I'm going to have rehearsed the answer so I can say it like my middle name. Hey, do I have to add all of your money? Only if you want our best advice. Hey, why are your fees so much? The guy down the street is cheaper. Well, nobody knows his worth better than he does. Like we have answers for everything, written, scripted, sitting in the library for people to pull out, memorize and use. But anyone can do it by sitting in the space of saying, hey, that prospect call made me uncomfortable. Yeah, It didn't quite quite feel good. The too busy excuse keeps you from sitting in that space. Too busy is the excuse that keeps you from sitting in that space. So we're really good at making excuses. We're less good at making results. 
Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for making some space for us. And speaking of busy, check out this upcoming schedule. She's headlining the Women's Advisory Symposium on November 16th in New York City, hosting another Limitless webinar on November 15th. She's speaking in Austin, Denver, and Amsterdam. And all the while, she and her team are going to continue to generate a tsunami of content, continuing to collaborate with industry experts, continuing her writing for investment news, and she also posts a really cool weekly newsletter entitled The Monday Mojo. So please remember, regardless of your environment, regardless of your skill set, if you have the motivation and determination to improve your mindset, the possibilities are truly limitless. And Stephanie is just living proof. Stephanie, thank you so much. You are simply the best. Thank you. And that's a wrap for this episode of A Voice from the Hills podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And just a reminder that for access to this episode and all prior episodes, you can follow A Voice from the Hills podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcast content. We'd love it if you would subscribe to the pod, post a review, give us a rating. If you'd like updates on future podcasts and all our other content, you can also follow A Voice from the Hills and Silicon Hills Wealth Management on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Silicon Hills Wealth and the services we offer, please check us out at our website at siliconhillswealth.com. And please know that your engagement and feedback is truly a gift. We can only do our best work when you are here to listen. Thank you.